Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Our rewatchable spinoff show on Luminary called Rewatchables 1999 is taking a little summer break, but we'll be back in the fall with more movies including Eyes Wide Shut, Never Been Kissed, and more. In the meantime, we're launching a new show on Luminary about another influential moment in 1999 called Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 99. The pod will dive deep on the iconic music festival and how its success and failures left its mark on history. The series begins on Tuesday, July 9th, and will be coming to you every Tuesday for eight weeks. So make sure to check out Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 99 on Luminary. Basketball is very good. The Warriors are still the best team in the league. Kyrie will be a great locker room guy in Brooklyn. RJ Barrett's ceiling is a sixth man. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the group chat, colon, intimate conversations, because this isn't much of a group. Uh, I am Justin Verrier. Chris Ryan is not with us today. Uh, It's probably kind of like a load management sort of situation with him at this point in his career. Uh, But with me, joining from Texas, the Dallas Cowboy himself, Jonathan Charks. What's up, Charks? Got back from Vegas like two days ago. I think I've just recovered. I'm ready to... Drop some takes. Yeah, how are you feeling in the in the post Vegas hangover situation? I just that took a lot of took a lot of naps. Really. That's the <laughs> right. key to get yourself back in equilibrium. So I'm just gonna talk with you. Normally, you're on press box dropping a uh, Tucker Carlson, Linda Rambis takes. <laughs> right. I think I'm a little bit more qualified uh, to talk about the Suns and Kelly Oubre than I am perhaps. Uh, some political, just whatever is happening you're there. You were great on that pod, I thought. Oh, thank you, Sharks. I appreciate that. Uh, I was a little in over my head, but uh, I think I papered over uh, pretty well. Uh, so, there's some stuff still going on in the NBA. I don't know if you've heard about this. Um, Kelly Oubre just signed a contract. Big news. Sharks, any takes? I'm glad he got some money. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'll play a lot for the Suns. <laughs> yeah, so I only bring this up because last night I got into some stuff with Suns Twitter. I put in my blurb in a group post that we did uh, earlier this week, just kind of wrapping up free agency, uh, in which that I criticized uh, the Ricky Rubio contract, which I thought was a pretty tame take. I thought it was a pretty cold one. And yet Suns Twitter was up in arms about it. They weren't having it. At one point, I was like trying to explain irony to a certain person. It, it's not a good space to be in, especially at this point in the summer. I think explaining things on Twitter is just a losing battle. That's kind of what I came away with. I tried to have like a civil discourse, and at the, and by the end of it, I was like explaining what just like what discourse means. Are these tweets still up? I'm gonna go back and read these. Kind of <laughs> you shouldn't, because I was literally eating ice cream last night, doing this outline and arguing with people on Twitter in Phoenix. Well, that, that explains this outline. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Speaking of the that outline, uh, we're going to get into some summer league stuff with Charks because uh, he spent some time down there. Uh, so we'll get a read on what the scene was, even though some of those lottery picks that we were all hoping to see didn't end up playing. Uh, we're going to get into some Russell Westbrook matchmaker. Uh, we're going to try to take a different approach there uh, based on some of the Russ discussions happening and some of the trade possibilities that could be out there. Uh, but first, I want to start with Kawhi Leonard, a guy that we still can't get away from now, almost a week later after he made his discussion, uh, his decision, excuse me, and brought Paul George with him. So we found out yesterday, this is Wednesday, that Kawhi, though he is indeed signing with the Los Angeles Clippers, he's only doing so for two guaranteed years with one player option after it. So three years total. Uh, not the four years he was eligible 
to do uh, with a contract with a team that did not have his bird rights. A little bit of a surprise because the Clippers, as we know at this point, gave up years and years and years worth of draft picks. In fact, uh, Kawhi is only under contract until the 2021 summer, I believe. And so the unprotected picks that the Clippers gave up start in 2022. So the season after he could theoretically leave, which could theoretically be a down year for the Clippers, could be pretty bad in the worst case scenario. But on the other hand, this is also when he could uh, make the 10-year max, which is worth 5% more than you can when you're seven to nine years in the league. So there is some reasoning beyond just uh, perhaps the conspiracy theory that he's only looking at the Clippers as a way station. But I guess let's start there, Charts, just generally. Does the fact that the contract details are different than what we assumed perhaps a week ago change your opinion of the trade at all? I think it just kind of reinforces what really the reality of this trade and like the Anthony Davis trade just shows is that if you want one of these superstars, you've got to go all in. Like that's the, it's the cost of doing business. Like if you want Kawhi on your team, you better be willing to sell your next 10 years of future away. Cause if you don't, somebody else will. And Kawhi knows it and LeBron knows it. And they're just leveraging their power to the best of their, to the maximum. And I think we're even seeing that now, really literally the maximum amount of leverage they can create they're creating because they know how valuable they are. And if you don't like it, they'll play somewhere else. Yeah, you wrote about that right after the trade, just that this is kind of what LeBron had done in years past, but just more an extreme version. It, rem- it always reminds me of The Wire. I don't know if you're a Wire fan, Charles. Of course. I'm a blogger. I've watched The Wire. <laughs> you forget The Ringer, so you have to be a Wire fan. But it's just basically the <laughs> idea that Marlowe is doing the same thing, but just a little bit more fierce. The game didn't really change. Uh, and I guess for me, it just it almost reinforced the idea that perhaps the Clippers aren't doing anything much different than what the Lakers just did. I came down a little bit harder on the Lakers uh, when they got Anthony Davis just because it seemed like they weren't thinking long-term. It seems like next year they will be fine. Uh, The Anthony Davis-LeBron James pairing is perhaps even better than Kawhi-Paul George. I think it, I mean, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. It will be one of the best duels in the league next year. But the year after that, LeBron's going to get older and they don't have any other players to go with them. And if they don't have the draft picks, how will they get the guys around them? Now, I think that is a fair argument. On the other hand, the Clippers gave up way more. And I think we're rationalizing what the Clippers did more because of their history. The fact that they don't have much of a history and the few good teams that they had, they really, the Lob City team is pretty much the only one. Uh, and perhaps if you want to throw in some of the the uh, Lamar Odom kind of head-bopping Darius Miles teams, sure. But because they don't have much of a history, we're fine with saying, well, just maximize this one window. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? Like, do you, do you feel like the Clippers are in any worse position than the Lakers? Well, I think the difference is they kept the rest of their pieces. So yeah, they've also like mortgaged their future, but like their supporting cast is stacked. And I think like you can debate LeBron, AD versus Kawhi, Paul George all day. And I'm with you. Maybe I take the Lakers guys one, two, but look at three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine on their rotation. The Clippers got all the players. I think that's the difference is they're both all in, but LA's all in with a complete team. Whereas the Lakers, 
I mean, they're kind of on seeds and stems here trying to make a team work. Yeah, the Lakers have this powerful duo. The Clippers have a powerful duo, but they also have a team around them. That's a, that's a critical difference. And uh, even if something happens with this Clippers team, if Kawhi doesn't play as much as we think, if these shoulder injuries Paul George is uh, reportedly dealing with and could still be dealing with when the season starts, they can go out and and perhaps trade some of these guys for other players. Perhaps they could roll some into a star player. That's uh, probably too pie in the sky thinking, but that's on the table because they have tangible things to deal with. Whereas the Lakers, even though they only gave up, I believe at this point, two more first round draft picks, uh, they're, the Pelicans control their draft from here through the next couple of years just because of the stepping rule and some of the, the bylaws yeah, in place. Yeah, the Lakers would have to draft a guy and then trade him. So they couldn't make a trade before the draft. It had to be after they'd made on those picks they still have. So they couldn't make future trades with it, basically. Yeah. Well, this is this is a good side tangent before we get on to some other stuff. But uh, we talked about this in our group post uh, that went up earlier this week. Just Clippers or Lakers. Are you pretty clearly Clippers? Yeah, I think just a depth on the roster. And I'll get into this in summer league too. Like the Clippers, even like they're 11, 12, 13, 14, they got players. Like those Clippers, that roster is stacked. And I think that gives them the edge over the Lakers, who are really gambling on a lot of older players to come together. Yeah, you brought this up in your your piece that went up today about kind of some of the intriguing guys at Summer League, specifically the second year guys. But you did mention the Clippers guys. It's who is it? It's Terrence Mann and who's their other rookie? Uh, Mafundo, I had a, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm going to butcher this. Uh, it's Kevin Gelly, the FSU big man from yeah, F- Dikembe's nephew, very skilled. And the guy I wrote about in the piece, Jerome Robinson, he's the number thirteen overall pick. And as we speak now, he's probably out of the rotation. Mm. Like the Lakers would kill to have lottery picks who can't crack that rotation. But that's not even possible in LA right now. Right. They ended up having to follow up the AD trade by giving up some of their last drafted players, uh, sending Mo Wagner and. Uh, two others to the to the Wizards in order to clear up more cap space, which they're probably fine doing that all over again, simply because they just had a lottery ticket for Kawhi Leonard, and I think that was a worthwhile risk to take, considering that if they just put that big three together, they probably would have dominated the league for the next whenever the, the contract ran for Kawhi. But you know, a Mo Wagner here, uh, Jamario. Jones? Is that his name? Jamario, Jamario Jones. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just to show you how... Close enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to show you how uh, into the the Lakers deep draft Twitter I am. Uh, yeah. Th- those type of guys would be helpful because you could just perhaps roll them together and get another guy or you could just see what you have there. A, a stretch big, for instance, is uh, an interesting player to have, especially if you want to alleviate some of the minutes Anthony Davis is going to play at center, which it seems like they're going to do because they did get DeMarcus Cousins. They did get... Uh, JaVale McGee in there in order to play uh, with those guys. But the interesting discussion that kind of spurred or that sparked up in our NBA Slack that went in all very, uh, a whole mess of directions. uh, It, there seems to be a a desire to want to extrapolate what's been happening this summer and make broad sweeping claims about where we are in the league and where player movement is I don't know if you have any just general takeaways. Does it seem like based on everything that we experience over the past only week, really, which is crazy to say, uh, there's anything we could really come away saying definitively about where the league is and where player movement is? I think my big takeaway is that 
given the way like these, it's really all about these like super superstars. So LeBron, KD, Kawhi, they're signing two and ones, one and ones because they want to a maximize their money and b keep the pressure on those teams. I think what these stars are realizing is like I have a very finite window to win championships and to stack rings to go after MJ. You look at Durant. His window might already be closed after that Achilles injury, right? Mm-hmm. So they can't afford to think, oh, in five years, what's the state of the franchise? They want that franchise all in right now. And the reality is, if you're all in every year, eventually the cost, the long-term costs pay off. So to me, my big takeaway is I think Dan Devine had a good piece today on The Ringer about it. Check that out. Where he talks about how windows are much shorter now. And that's what I feel like is my main takeaway it's this idea of we're going to build the next San Antonio and compete for 15 years. I'm not sure that's really practical anymore. I think realistically, you've got to look in a two, three-year window and then reassess. Because if you're making like long-term plays, these stars are going to notice. They don't want the long-term play. They want the right-now play. And then they know if you make the right-now play and they're on a short contract, well, in a few years, they'll go somewhere else and do the same thing all over again. Yeah, and I think it's a really good point. I, I would also point people to a story that Zach Cram wrote for us uh, just the other week about how short windows actually are. So Cram's basic takeaway is we think that teams that are engaged in these long, slow processes, the Sixers and some other teams that have really taken their time to stack assets and do it the, in air quotes, right way, it doesn't actually bear out throughout history where a team one year, five years later, could be completely different. And I think for me, that kind of undercuts the idea that this is anything different. I think it's it's louder. I think, yeah. I think it's more interesting. But I, I'm wondering whether or not there really has been as much consistency in teams like the Spurs. Like the Spurs are the outlier. They aren't just, this isn't the rest of the league. Yeah, for sure. And I think what people are missing in this whole conversation they're looking at, oh, what happened with Paul George? And they're saying, oh my gosh, how can small markets contend? Blah, blah, blah. I think the reality is Oklahoma City was happy to make that trade. They weren't like, oh man, we lost Paul George. They're like, this team, it needs to get blown up. He's the most movable piece. And like, right, let's say Paul George hadn't asked for a trade. OKC probably couldn't have sold it to their fans or blown this team up. They needed that leverage. They needed Paul George to ask for it. Because realistically, if Oklahoma City was a title contender right now with George and Westbrook, they could have kept them for two years and said, we're going for the ring right now the next two years. They knew this team wasn't good enough. It had to get blown up. And they used this as like a leverage point to do it. So I don't really think Paul George, I wouldn't even say he forced his way out of town. I think Oklahoma City said, thank God you asked. Let's make this happen. Yeah, I think there's a possibility that we'll get four years out from now and we'll say what a disaster this was for the Clippers. I think that's a darkest timeline sort of situation, and I don't think it'll end up being what happens, considering how good Kawhi is and how well he and Paul George can play off each other, and as we just described, the team that they built around them. But let's say if one of those guys gets hurt, it doesn't work out, maybe Kawhi just clashes with something in the environment. There's a situation where they got this two-year window, they didn't make good on it, and all of a sudden, the Thunder have draft picks that perhaps even exceed what the Nets gave up for the KG and Pierce trade. And I I look at that and I look at also what the Pelicans got 
from the Lakers in terms of assets. They pretty much just completely flipped their situation to the point where we're saying, wow, what a great young core this is. This might be one of the best young cores in the league. They fell backwards into Zion, and so that was just pure luck. But even if they didn't have Zion, I think we would have really liked what they're doing. And so I think, I guess I would just preach caution and to suggest that what has happened this summer completely just warps the league. I think we might be in more of a transition period where down the road, the teams that are thinking longer, perhaps not by choice, but might be end up being better off. And the other thing to throw in there is as we're talking about how dominant some of these teams that have been built, we're also saying that the league is more wide open. The title pitcher is more wide open. And in the thick of that is a lot of small markets. If we're trying to say that small markets are at a disadvantage, and yet Milwaukee, we expect to be perhaps in the finals next year. Utah is a team that everybody loves and should dominate the regular season in, the, in kind of the worst case. Denver got better. They they got Jeremy Grant from OKC, which yeah, I thought was, was a nice pickup. That was a smart move. It's funny. I was yeah. talking to Danny Chow about this today. It feels like Jeremy Grant is the new ringer guy. Yeah, it fits. It fits. Sure. <laughs> he's, he's the new OG. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad we got that guy into the mix early this season. Uh, Portland, another team that could be in the mix here. So it's weird to suggest that, that the big markets are just dominating when we're also saying that there could be league-wide parity. No? Yeah, and I think too, like big markets can dominate for windows of time like we're talking about. But you're right. The Clippers, this is not built for a six, seven-year run. They've got a really narrow window to win a championship. And if they win that ring, then whatever happens after happens. Yeah, and I, and I, I don't think you're going to see like a 10-year run from the Lakers, the Clippers, the Knicks, and the Nets. Those teams might all get very narrow windows. But when those windows close, someone else's opens. So I think really all this superstar movement could end up being a positive for like some of these teams because it gives them more shots at the apple. Like Milwaukee, for example... I mean, realistically, there's a good chance they lose Giannis in two years, but they've got two years right now. And it's like, oh, I'm going to lose Giannis, but most teams only get two-year windows. They've got a massive two-year window, and that's as good a chance as anyone's going to get. So I don't really feel too bad for them. So the concern going forward here is, I, I don't know if this is much of a different problem than we've de- dealt with in the past, but it does give small market owners fodder if they do want to cause a fuss about this with the league office. Uh, as we've seen in the years past, some of the bigger changes that we're dealing with now are a result of small markets kind of complaining about, in the most recent instance, the big three heat forming. And Dan Gilbert led the charge to, to kind of put us in the situation where we are today, where we have the Supermax and some of these other things that were put in place, uh, the more punitive luxury tax in particular, where the small markets had theoretically uh, a better chance to compete where they just didn't have the market muscle Uh, or the kind of just whatever is drawing guys to those big markets. I don't know what you could do really to solve this issue. The one thing I was thinking about, if and again, I don't even know if you need to solve this issue. It reminds me of tanking in a lot of way where it's it's more of like a PR issue than anything else. Uh, Maybe the team control on the rookie deals gets a little bit longer because as we've seen, even though the Supermax contract is only eligible for guys who are still with the team that had their rookie contract, we haven't seen a mass movement of guys wanting to get traded while on that rookie contract. 
And so they always ultimately sign the second deal. We'll see with Ben Simmons, a guy who's up for an extension. It seems like he's going to sign one with the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll see what happens after he signs it. Maybe he'll try to force his way out. But it does seem like the the way things have gone thus far, guys stay for the first contract because they have to, and then they sign the extension for the second one. So You know what's funny? The only guy who's really pushed his way out is Porzingis out of the biggest market, right? Right. Although, I guess, I guess the Knicks are an outlier in that situation. Yeah, and I, and I think even them, like the Knicks, it sounds like wanted to move them. They wanted to open up that cap space. And I think in terms of like with rookie contracts and these young guys, I don't really think you're going to see young guys push their way out in year four or five because I think most young players want to be the man, right? They want to dominate the ball. I think Devin Booker isn't that unhappy right now because he gets to put up his crazy stats. I think eventually he'll get unhappy year six or seven. But I think for now, he's happy being the man and putting up like massive numbers. And like if you look at Simmons, the one reason why he would push his way out isn't because of market size or anything. It's because this is not his team, because it's Embiid's team. So I don't think really any of these young stars really want to team up and sacrifice their games at like 23. Like, I don't think Cat wants to leave an average 18 points a game somewhere. He wants to get like 30 points a game where he is now. Yeah, and it's interesting to see what the Pelicans are doing with Zion. I think in years past with Anthony Davis, we, we criticized, I think fairly, the Pelicans for accelerating the timeline around Davis. They went and got those young veterans in order to surround him in order to win sooner because he had proven pretty much from the jump that he was capable of of being an impact player in the league. I do look at the Pelicans and think if you have a number one pick, if you have a transformative talent who could be one of these guys down the road, I do wonder if this shifts the thinking that you want to be better sooner. Yeah, I mean, I think they've actually kind of done a similar path. Like, here's my take. The real problem with the young veterans thing is the rest of the franchise. It was the infrastructure. Like, imagine if they had this era Gordon in New Orleans. Yeah. He could never stay healthy there. If they had Drew, Gordon, and Davis, it's a pretty nasty team. Their problem was filling in the rest of those pieces, keeping guys healthy. Whereas I think with New Orleans now, with uh, Benson's wife, with Daley Griffin, they're counting on the rest of the infrastructure around them to compete around Zion immediately. Yeah, and they have a pathway going forward. Whereas the Pelicans were really trying to maximize their window and weren't thinking past that, often because Del Demps' job was on the line seemingly year to year. Uh, They were giving up first-round picks for Drew Holiday. They gave up a first-round pick for Omer Ashik and signed him to a new deal at a time where the league was going away from guys who played that way. The Pelicans have... This pathway, even if Lonzo Ball doesn't hit, even if Brandon Ingram doesn't become the player we expected him to be when he was drafted second overall, they have all these draft picks. They could turn them into actual players or they could just ride this out for a little bit longer. But I think it's interesting. I I like their team next year. J.J. Redick is a good vet to have. I think he's probably closer to cooked than we realize. Sorry to our sort of ringer colleague. Uh, I think Derek Favors, I'm really excited to see what he does away from Rudy Gobert, and he could play more traditional center. He could be the only big in the paint. Uh, I think he could have a a monster year, and and we can look at him as uh, perhaps a a cornerstone of that franchise going forward. But it's interesting. I I do wonder if the next team who drafts, perhaps James Wiseman, first overall next year, uh, I got a hipster take for you. Yeah. The guy is, it's Cade Cunningham, not James Wiseman. See, I That's don't even know who that is. Where is. There he? you go. We're putting it out there right now. <laughs> Where is he going to school? So he's not even going to be in college till two years from now. 
So oh. that's how far that's how far back we're doing this though, Justin. What? It, and, then, <laughs> and then it's Emily Bates. He's a freshman in high school. He's the next next guy. It's weird. We never have number one picks who are like Carl Johnson. It's always like the most like interesting name dudes. I mean, James Wiseman, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. Right? James, James Wiseman seems like an old Jewish guy. And uh, there's an, and there's a, next year, it's like Cole Anthony and Anthony Edwards. But this kind of, it seems as like a down year. But these superstars, yeah, for whatever reason, I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe there's Jonathan Sharks Jr. Maybe we can get an, an enterprise story going on, on the, like the, the psychological effects of being named cool. Um, We're just giving away his Twitter now, Justin. Giving them away to the people. <laughs> Swan to these. Uh, maybe Sun's Twitter can can investigate that next. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about some Russell Westbrook trades, and then get into a little hot summer league action. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA Show is brought to you by PointsBet. Are you a New Jersey sports better or thinking of getting in the action? Then I cannot wait to tell you about PointsBet. The sportsbook Allen Iverson, Darrell Revis, and thousands more are calling their preferred way to bet. Basically, PointsBet is the sportsbook you've been waiting for and the easiest and most exciting way to bet on sports. What's different about PointsBet? Well, for starters, they have double the number of bets available, three times more booster odds offered every day, and countless offers that actually put bettors first, like over 800 games paid out earlier this year alone. Whoa. On top of all that, PointsBet is the only place for good karma payouts that refund bad beats, never-before-seen bet types like NBA head-to-win totals, and points betting, where the more you're right, the more money you actually win. Join PointsBet today and deposit $10 to get $100 in bonus bets. Use promo code NBA Show when you sign up. Again, promo code is NBA Show. Points bet. Stay sharp. New Jersey only must be 21 plus. Additional terms and condition apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Points bet. Stay sharp. All right, we're back. Jonathan Charks, Justin Verrier, Bobby Wagner, just hanging out here. But Shout out, Bobby. There, there's a divider in between Bobby and I, so I can't really see him, and thus I can't cue him to, to get on the mic, which makes it more difficult than usual. I'm quietly clapping over here for you the whole time. <laughs> Every time you throw out a good there's take, I'm those like, Justin, tones. there's my guy. There you go. <laughs> we wanted to hear on the pod. I know. Uh, Bobby always dings me afterward because I just throw hot potatoes at him whenever I, I, I'd like him to chime into a conversation. Uh, but now I feel like I'm vamping Bobby to the point where you can get on the mic and pop in right after him. Justin, you need Mets pitcher's takes. That's what will get him, get him on this thing. You don't want that. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Uh, but instead, instead, we're going to talk about Russell Westbrook, perhaps the, uh, the only guy left on the table here uh, as we hope to, to wrap up free agency uh, and start eating ice cream on our couches alone more frequently <laughs> at night. Wow, that got dark. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I had a great time. It was Banana Foster. Uh, there's, it's from this place, Cool House, that is in Los Angeles. I highly recommend. I had a nice I mean, little, little evening. It's not Jenny's, though. Jenny's is where you want to go, man. Jenny's is solid. That's legit. Yeah, I, I support that. Uh, so Russell Westbrook, it seems like his days are numbered in Oklahoma City. Uh, he was the guy that stayed, but now after Paul George has left him, it seems like he's going to end up just like James Harden and Kevin Durant before him uh, and make his way to another team here. Uh, there have been a lot of ruminations, I guess is what we'll call them, about teams that he could possibly land in. What we're going to do specifically, uh, we're going to look a little bit at, at Russ and then look at perhaps like 
what type of guy is best for him at this stage of his career. But I do want to reset Russ a little bit because he is kind of a lightning rod. He is a divisive figure where you're kind of in or out on him. I'm kind of in the middle, surprisingly enough. I think clearly his style of play hasn't been conducive to winning big, especially in the playoffs. But I do think there's still a very valuable player in there. He was an all-NBA player this year. He averaged a triple-double for the third straight season. And while I think that conversation can get a little warped, I think there's clearly value in somebody who could do that. It's like, it's on the one hand, it's a very obvious thing to say, but on the other hand, there's so much more that goes into it because of the efficiency, all this other stuff. So, Charx, I'll, I'll throw this to you. Like, where are you at Russ right now at age 30 going into this next phase of his career? Pretty clearly what Oklahoma City was doing the last few years didn't work. I think even bigger than Russ, it seemed like their planning back to the KD gaze was we have these superstars, they get buckets at will, we're just going to put the best defensive team around them and count on them to just carry us home. And that only gets you so far. Without KD, it's gotten you nowhere at all. Because like Russ has never played in space, really in his entire career, where there's like multiple good three-point shooters around him. And this is a guy who can't shoot. So like it really puts him in a bind. So I do think he's not been able to show the best version of himself the last few years. And I think if I was going to acquire Russell Westbrook, I'd want to have a whole lot of three-point shooting around him. That said, do I really want to pay Russell Westbrook, I don't even know, eight quadrillion dollars in his 30s? If I'm okay, see, I'm like, this is a good time to move along. We got his 20s. We got the best Russ we're ever going to get. Deuces. <laughs> right. So those are the concerns everyone is going to have with Russ, starting with uh, the fact that, yes, he's only 30, but he has played 11 seasons at this point. Uh, and as we know at this point, while he was an Iron Man throughout most of the the kind of prime of his career, the early prime, I guess we'll call it, uh, and he's played 80 games or more seven seasons, which is crazy to say, when he does miss games, it's because of kind of a nagging serious string of injuries, specifically with his lower body. He has had four arthroscopic knee surgeries and one PRP in- injection that we know of. So I don't know what's happening in the offseason. Some guys just kind of, it doesn't come out and they just get these work done. So there are concerns about how he will stand up physically going forward, even though he is just this battering ram who who plays an aggressive style. But, but again, perhaps that's more reason to be concerned. The other thing that you brought up is the shooting. He needs shooters around him. The Thunder haven't really done a good job of that. I think they've drafted well throughout the Sam Presti regime, just getting a guy like Steven Adams that late in the draft, getting Russell Westbrook and turning him into the player that he is today. I think they deserve a lot of credit. Unfortunately, they have a type, and that type does not shoot three-pointers. And last season, Russell Westbrook, 29% from three. I looked this up. He's the second player since the Kobe Bryant, essentially, to shoot under 30% from three and attempt five more threes per game. Do you know who do you know who the other player is since Kobe? Not not Russell Westbrook. Oh, so it's West, Westbrook and I can't even say Westbrook. It's Westbrook and another player. I got I got no idea. It is Isaiah Thomas. Wow. I thought it was a good shooter. Last too. not That's this past season, but the season before that he split between uh, Cleveland and Lakers. Oh, that late, late era Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, this yeah. is not good Isaiah Thomas. Oh my gosh, he got took that many shots from those teams. Oof, not great. I mean, I guess the Lakers toward the end there they they needed anybody to take those shots. 
so clearly a player who has his faults. I brought this up and just to, to side tangent a little bit. It's kind of like he's as poor of a shooter as Ben Simmons, but he's actually willing to take those shots. And while I think it's important for the defense to respect that, we're at the point where he's gone to the extreme as he does so often with Russ-type things, and he takes too many of them. I do wonder if he cut that in half, all of a sudden he's a different player. I mean, I think if you put him in like a system like Milwaukee with Giannis, where you had him with four shooters, like a Brooke Lopez, he could take those rim shots, and then he has someone else take those threes. But Oklahoma said he was taking those shots. It's not Steven Adams. <laughs> right. It's not Andre Robichon. Someone's got to take him. Right. And obviously the last concern is his contract. He makes $171 million over the next four years. The last year is a player option for $47 million, which is a lot of money. And so while you have a good player somewhere deep inside there, uh, trading him is going to be difficult. And so not only to make the money work, but in order to find the team that likes Russ enough and that wants to go forward with him, thinks they, they could play off his star or whatever. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the teams that could be in the mix here, specifically looking at the partnerships that Russ and this star player could form because it does seem like the the NBA is trending less toward big threes, more toward big twos, or we'll have to come up with a more creative name and perhaps some other guys around them. Um, in terms of just like, I put some names on this list here, but like who are the types of guys, let's start there, that you think would work best with Russ? I think the number one thing is a stretch big man. If I got Russ, Russ is going to have the ball. Russ is going to play downhill. Let's get as many guys out of the paint as possible. Let's play four out around him. So that first piece I got to have, if I can get like, you know, a Kevin Love type, a stretch five, open up the floor, let him go to the rim. I think you've got to have that piece. If you don't have it, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Love is an interesting one. If you want to start looking at specific in- uh, kind of instances, Danny Chow brought him up in a video series we did uh, earlier this week, and I thought it was an intriguing possibility because A, Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook go way back. Hey, UCLA, that's right. That's right. Uh, they will get along, and I think that their games at this point in their careers complement each other well. And I think the Cavs, while they are in kind of a cap mess right now, they do have all these big salaries, which if you just want to get off of Russ's money and you just want to have clear your books and to start fresh with all these draft picks with Shea Gilgers, Alexander, uh, you can go forward with Russ, maybe keep Darius Garland, Kevin Love, and that's your core. Is that such a bad thing? Well, they've got a young Russ and Colin Sexton they seem to really like. Sure. Yeah. So, going to give up on that, which I don't know. I'm, I was never a big Sexton guy, but that would be the cost of that. Yeah, I'm not either. Uh, I guess in this setting, you would probably want to trade Sexton to the Thunder. Perhaps the carrot, that's the carrot for them. Uh, or you could swing him to another team. I don't know. I think they're in the position where, as we, we talked about earlier... Like maybe the rebuild, maybe the runway isn't as long as we think. Maybe it's just a matter of pairing your existing guy and just finding another guy to go with him and then going forward with that team. I think that's a team that could, in theory, make the playoffs, maybe? I mean, Russ and Love, if they can stay healthy. Yeah, that's the big thing. Love has not been staying healthy for quite a while now. Yeah. 
Who are some of the the more intriguing fits that that you have kind of targeted? Well, I mean, I like the piece that Haley wrote uh, some maybe yesterday or two days ago, where she talked about Minnesota, talk about a stretch big man. Carl Towns and Russ would be pretty nasty together. Yeah, that's probably the most fascinating fit on the board. I do wonder if Russ, after all these years in Oklahoma City, he'll want to go to uh, perhaps an even sleepier market. See, I, I would guess not. I would guess that would not be go well with him. Yeah. But on the, on the court, though, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, he had all this kind of history with Oklahoma City, and obviously Oklahoma City could pay him way more than any other team as a team that had his rights uh, throughout his career. And so there was a combination of allegiance and financial incentive uh, in order to keep playing with that team. I do wonder if he wants to keep doing that in his career. No shots at Minnesota, who has some lovely summers. I don't know if you've been there, Charles, but... No. <laughs> it's it's worth checking out. It's a long way away from where I am. Yeah, right. I don't know if he wants to to just be in that tunnel system during during the winter here. But no, I think Towns is a, is a particularly interesting guy. Um, I'm going to flip the other way. I'm going to say Bradley Beal. So... Everybody is thinking that the Wizards are going to just completely tear things down and perhaps deal deal Beal in the near future. Uh, just This is me just reading the tea leaves based on some of the moves that they made. It really didn't get anybody else in there. Isaiah Thomas is all of a sudden on the roster. They brought back Thomas Bryant, who I think is an intriguing young big guy. But they're pretty much just waiting for some of these contracts to, to kind of run their course, the Jan Mahimney types. And in the meantime trying to figure out what they could do with Russell, uh, with John Wall. I almost said Russell Westbrook. They're pretty much the same guy at this point. Or, well, this trade you have, you want to have them have Wall and Westbrook on the same team? Yeah. I think you just assume that Wall is tax at this point. It's sunk cost. And you go and he's for... He's got like four years left. I, is he going to play for any of those years? He's definitely not playing next year. I think he'll want those checks. I think he'll get back on the court. Yeah. I would, if I were the Wizards, and I really wanted to take advantage of Bradley Beal, and I didn't want to lose any sort of whatever momentum basketball has in our nation's capital, which has been historically, over the past couple decades, a tough place to get people involved uh, in the basketball scene, even though there is kind of a grassroots scene. Guys like Kevin Durant come from there. Yeah, Michael a, lot of, Beasley. a lot of players come out of that DMV area. Yeah, there's just the Wizards just don't really rate there based on everything I know in D.C. It seems like a Redskins town. It seems like even a Capitals town. Uh, those teams come before the NBA franchise. But so if you want to just not go the rebuild course, the rebuild route, and you want to lean into Beal and show him that you could build something around him, you go Westbrook, Beal, and then you find a way to get off Wall's contract in the future. You basically Gilbert Arenas him. See, my question with that is, wouldn't Beal be like, didn't I just leave this party? <laughs> I think right. Beal liked last year where he got to be the point guard. He put up the best stats of his career. He almost did all NBA. I think he is pretty happy. I'm not sure he wants to go back to riding shotgun with someone else. Yeah. I think Beal's like, I'm a lead ball handler now. I'm the man. I'm the captain now. <laughs> right. That's my guess. Yeah, no, I, I could totally see that. Um, that was just my outside the box sort of uh, uh, kind of candidate there. What do you think about Jimmy Butler? So Miami is is one of the teams that keeps getting brought up as a possible destination. Honestly, it seems like just based on some of the rumblings that have come out in public, that that's the most likely destination considering market where they are as a franchise, the fact that 
Jimmy Butler is kind of a, a prickly sort, and it seems like he and Russ would get along or perhaps even kill each other. Who knows? Uh, do you think that works on the court, Jimmy Butler and Russell Westbrook? See, I think that's where Russ would want to go. I think like he'd love to live in Miami, and he could kind of talk himself into Jimmy Butler. I would just love to hear that conversation where Jimmy's like, all right, Russ, spot up in the corner. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. I just don't. It feels very uh, two alphas. Remember the old three alpha team yeah. in Chicago? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see how that would work with two guys who want the ball and don't shoot very well. But I think, I think that's where Russ wants to go. It's like the opposite of Minnesota, where I feel like that's where he wants, but the on-court fit to me is very questionable. I think the guy that makes sense to me, if we're talking just like out of left field, or not even, not even that, it's been rumored, is Blake Griffin on the Pistons. Mm. He's a stretch big now. Detroit's really desperate. Maybe they'll go with that. Yeah, I could definitely see it. I don't really see the next step for Detroit. It seems like they've hit their ceiling already, which is sad to say, with a team built around Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, unless they want to do something super extreme. And as we've seen with the Blake Griffin trade in and of itself, they might be willing to do that in order to re-energize a fan base that in years past hasn't really come out for the team. If you watch some of those games uh, in a new arena, they just, they look dead. There's nobody there. So I I think it's interesting. Uh, similar thing though. Do you think Russ would be okay with Blake handling the ball more than uh, Russ himself? I think you'd have to have some kind of power sharing, but Blake maybe be willing to take a step back a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I think it's that a better chance working Jay Butler, but maybe not that great a chance still. I don't know. Well, what's interesting about Detroit, which I think I didn't really take note of until I read your piece on some of these summer league guys uh, yesterday, was that they have kind of filled out the roster quietly with more interesting guys than they have in the past. I think I'm not a big fan of what the core is with that team, but one of the issues was is they kept cheating the process and kept trying to reach for these guys like Langston Galloway, John Luer. They never really found the right supplemental pieces to go around what they had, and then they overpaid for them on top of that, which just screwed things up for them long-term. All of a sudden, they got guys like Bruce Brown, who I've called Bruce Bowen like 30 times at this point. Even Svi from the Lakers is like, you could see it, you know? And they got this guy, Sekou Duimboya. Did I say that right? I'm not a name guy, so I can't (laughs) even. I, I read them on the paper. I never think them, you know, I never say it out loud. Right. So, I mean, Luke Kennard, Thon Maker is like a worthwhile just lottery ticket to pull and see what you have in him still. I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit more optimistic about what Detroit has going forward. Am I crazy? They have more young pieces. I'm not like super excited about them too much. I think they're not to the point where they can go a youth movement. They're still kind of stuck in that middle ground, unless you really love Luke Kennard. No. Another team I think might make sense would be if you're looking strictly on the court, it would be Chicago. Mm. They have a lot of shooting. Yeah, all of a sudden, you watched Kobe White probably in person. Did you get a, a good long look at him? I did. Thoughts? I was a, I'm a big fan, but it's going to take him some time. He's pretty wild right now. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess it depends on what you'd end up sending to Oklahoma City. Because in that case, they don't have a ton of huge contracts. I think you'd have to give up Zach Levine, which I am personally fine with. I'm not a big Levine guy, but I do wonder. They've kind of almost built their team around Levine at this point, no? 
Yeah, I mean, he's the primary scorer. They got, you know, Laurie, Wendell, Otto Porter, Sadoransky. That'd be pretty nice for around Russ, actually. Like, that's four big guys who can all shoot it, all very unselfish. Sadoransky and Porter can defend multiple positions. I think that might be the best basketball fit. But does Russ want to be in Chicago in the cold as the only star? I don't know. So you're saying Sadoransky is going to set up uh, Everybody Eats 2.0? Nice. Yes. <laughs> I think it makes sense. I, I just realized, yeah, Otto Porter is right there too. So, so Sadoransky, Russ, Porter, Markinen, Carter. Yeah, he got he's got some jump shooting ability. That's not bad. That's like what a six seed, maybe even better. Yeah, maybe higher. So, I don't know. There are some interesting options on the board here. Uh, I guess we'll see. I think Knicks too. We can talk, talk about the Knicks. Yeah, I don't know what their pieces around him are. But couldn't the Knicks talk themselves into, oh, we need one star to get somebody else. Russ can be a star. I think Russ will play in New York City, make a lot of money, sell a lot of you know clothes, go to Fashion Week. <laughs> right. You wouldn't have to travel for Fashion Week. <laughs> he might be into that. Yeah, I bet he would be into New York. I don't know how quickly New York could ever be good enough for him to want to go there. Though, I think from New York's point of view, my big question with them is, yeah, they are in theory taking the long road, although a long road that's been thrust upon them. I don't know how much of a conscious choice it was. They really just cleared cap space, uh, just drafted a lot of guys highly who haven't really panned out, and now they're just hoping that some of them come together or someone wants to come there. I I think it's the bird in the hand sort of situation. Like, would you rather have Russell Westbrook, a guy who despite like guys leaving o- Oklahoma City and playing better, guys like Victor Oladipo, guys like uh, Demontis Sabonis, some of those other guys, uh, everyone seems to like playing with Russ. I do wonder if guys will want to go play with Russ in New York if he's there entrenched as the guy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, t- people seem to like him off the court. He has a good amount of charisma. I think if I was an NBA team, I'd want Russ on his third team. I think wherever Russ goes on team number two, I'm not sure it'll go that well. But I would love to see Russ on team three when he's been humbled. Maybe he's on a smaller contract when he's trying to play a role on a championship team. I think that maybe might be where you really get to see a cool version of Russell Westbrook. But that might be two, three years from now. Well, if you're waiting for his contract to run out, it's going to be five years from now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I forgot how long that was. (laughs) Well, I mean, it is interesting. I, I think watching stars kind of phase into a next phase of their career uh, is always fascinating because you get have guys like Allen Iverson who probably could have, in theory, played a few more years. He just refused to play differently. On the other hand, yeah, you I mean, have a guy like Vince Carter who's literally still in the league. Jason Kidd, the perfect example. I loved him in Dallas with Dirk at the end of his career. He was awesome. It's very surprising that you loved uh, a Dallas scenario. Well, you know. Stay on brand. Got to support the, the home team. All right, we're gonna we're gonna do one last thing here. Uh, I did not go to Vegas this year for one of the first times in a very long time. Uh, I do not feel bad about that. Uh, coming off of a very long postseason and a very long, well, not very long, but uh, 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 intense draft kind of process uh, and everything that goes into covering the draft and then immediately going to free agency. I just did not have the bandwidth to do that again and to uh, stuff my face and come away with a cold because of uh, the difference between the 100 degree temperature outside and the 50 degree temperature inside. <laughs> true. My lips are very chapped right now. I got a, <laughs> got a lot going on over here. Yes. So Sharks is feeling it. 
right now, but he did end up spending a few days there uh, and he came away with a few things. Uh, as we alluded to before, he has a piece on The Ringer today uh, looking at the five most intriguing second-year players uh, from Summer League action, specifically in Vegas. Sharks, uh, you want to just run through some of the more interesting things that you saw out there? Yeah, I mean, so the guys I wrote about uh, Miles Bridges, Lonnie Walker, Bruce Brown, Jerome Robinson, and then I went a little homerish there, wrote about Costas Anadokounmpo. He's probably not in the same level as the other four guys, but, you know, had the dream a bit. He's, he's interesting, right? He is. He's an interesting guy. I think there is some talent there. The Mavs are playing the long game, going for that 2021 free agency. Who knows? And But, but the other four, with Miles, Lonnie, uh, Bruce Brown, and Jerome Robinson, they were all drafted. Well, I guess not Bruce Brown, but the other three are all drafted in the middle of the first. And I'm watching all these guys. It's like, it's so much of their success is situational. You look at like Miles Bridges, he went 11. Yeah, he went 11 or 12. And now he's on a team where there's nothing else going on. He's going to be the guy eventually. They'll give him every chance to succeed. Whereas Jerome Robinson, taking a pick or two later, he might never play in LA. It's just crazy how much like the context affects their careers and how they're perceived. Yeah, and I think it's particularly interesting because the, the crop of guys that you identified here are modern players that just, I don't know what their college situation was like. I, I don't really spend much time watching college basketball, uh, but it seems like they didn't get picked highly, but they play this sort of style that the game is going toward, which is particularly interesting because in last year's draft class, you had so many bigs going at the top of the draft. And there seemed to be still this uh, kind of dissonance between acknowledging that wings who shoot threes play this type of style that the game is headed toward, in particular in playoff basketball, and yet the most talented guys coming out were still big men. So I wonder how much they could adapt to the league. I guess a lot of them have adapted. Surprisingly enough, Marvin Bagley, even DeAndre Ayton had a good rookie season. Some, like Pretty much all of them at the top did. But these guys still fell probably farther than they should have. Is that fair to say? Well, it's interesting. So last year's draft, if you go from like 11 to 24, it was all wings. Hmm. All wings, like 6'4 to 6'8 wings. It was this massive run from like SGA at 11 all the way to Chandler Hutchison at 24. And like, if you look at the odds in those drafts, two or three of those guys are going to pop, are going to become stars. And I could see Miles Bridges in Charlotte and Lonnie Walker in uh, San Antonio. I'm writing about Zaire Smith in Philly. We've already seen Kevin Herter have a great year in Atlanta. Yeah, Some of those guys are going to become stars. And it'll be interesting. I think a lot of it just comes down to the team they're on. Like Lonnie Walker, for example, he was killing it in summer league, getting like 30 points a night. But now he's going to go to San Antonio where they got a very disciplined system, a ton of veterans ahead of them. And Lonnie's got that Mamba mentality. I'm not sure I'll play with Pop. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at the rest of this draft class. Josh Kogi is an interesting guy. Aaron Holiday for the Pacers. Anthony Simons is apparently every reporter's favorite new player. Um, yeah, we got uh, Paolo doing a piece in that, right, at some point. Paolo will do one for next week. Landry Shaman at 26. This is a really deep draft. Uh, so I do wonder if some of these guys that we didn't identify early as primary players uh, could, could make impacts. And I think... Bridges in particular is an interesting one for me because I watched a little bit of Kemba Walker last year and it seems like he's just a really good fit for perhaps what they wanted to do. They Later in the year, they kind of leaned into more young guys. They had some injuries, so perhaps it was just 
a uh, result of necessity, but him playing that kind of three, four spot seemed like he had all the skills you would want if he just got more opportunity. Yeah. He's a crazy good athlete. What I love about bridges is he has the athletic ability and he's a very like smart, polished player. Like he really, he doesn't really force too much. He moves out the ball. He makes the extra pass. He's still like developing as a ball handler and a playmaker. But I think next year in Charlotte, they, they still have Terry Rogier, Nick Batum, Marvin Williams. I think he'll probably start next to those guys, play 30, 35 minutes a night, and put up big numbers. I think for Miles last year, so I looked at the whole rookie class, he was like number 15 in minutes. And I think if you're playing a small role on a good team, people will recognize that. And if you're playing a big role on a bad team, you'll have the stats. But if you have a small role on a bad team, no one's going to care, right? Mm-hmm. You slipped through the cracks. And that was Miles last year. Now he goes from small role on a bad team to big role on a bad team. And my guess is we'll be talking a lot more about him. If anyone watches Charlotte, which is a different question, if they do watch the Hornets, he'll be the guy people are talking about. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people will be tuning in to Charlotte lately. I, I, I That's wonder. probably a safe assumption. Yeah, I don't think they were with Kemba when he was there, uh, which is sad because Kemba is a very dynamic, exciting player, and I'm excited uh, to see him and see what he does on a bigger platform next season. But it does seem like Charlotte is going to be in kind of a, uh, you know, they're going to be off the radar for a next couple years here. And honestly, it's probably to their benefit. They need to take some time to get those big deals off their book. Uh, really take their time. Don't don't worry about Terry Rozier being your next guy. Lottery Just, pick, right? <laughs> Lottery pick Terry Rozier. That got tossed around and kind of lambasted. I get what he was trying to say. Just that he's a young guy with upside who probably didn't play as much as he would have wanted. And someone who had had, had his postseason uh, in years past probably would have gotten but yeah, that, that was a pretty... Maybe we should have said that then. <laughs> he needs you running PR for him. Well, as someone who recently came under fire for not per- perhaps articulating his argument uh, as well as he would have liked, I, I, I feel for Mitch Kupchak. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> seriously, I'm, I'm shooketh uh, by recent results. Uh, okay, but the last thing you have here, uh, two-way contract. So if, if guys who aren't recent draft picks, lottery picks, were trying to either work on their skills or to kind of show themselves and, and perhaps improve for next season, uh, this is kind of the next layer of guys here. So, so talk to us a little bit about uh, perhaps what you saw on that front. Well, so it's interesting. So I was talking to people about that. And it seems like after about 40 or 45 in the second round pick, it becomes this like uh, standoff because teams want to, they don't want to draft guys at those spots and bring them on their roster because usually their roster is full. They don't want to burn an asset. So like, if we're going to draft you late second round, you've got to be willing to take a two-way contract. And some guys will take it, and other guys, they're going to bet on themselves and say, don't even draft me then. Because what teams don't want to have happen is you draft a guy, he won't take a two-way contract, he won't go to Europe, he comes to your camp and you got to cut him and you lose the asset. So they're drafting possibly less talented players late second who will take that two-way contract, who will develop over a longer time frame. So that's what happened with Philadelphia and Shake Milton from SMU. So they draft him last year's second round, signed to a two-way contract. And then this year, gave him a four-year contract on a minimum salary, one of those hinky specials. Mm-hmm. So now they have him for five years. And like for Shake, he gets that guaranteed money, he gets a shot in Philly, but the cost is he's locked up for almost his entire 20s because he was an older player coming out of college. So it's a real cost for him to like do that. Whereas the flip of that is this guy, Terrence Davis, 
He was an old Miss guard, really skilled. I really liked him a lot coming out of the draft. And he didn't get drafted. I was very surprised. And asking around is because, oh, every team that won the draft, Terrence Davis, were like, sign a two-way. He's like, I don't want to do that. I'm better than that. So he didn't get drafted, goes to Summer League, plays the Nuggets, has one monster game, and the Raptors give him a guaranteed contract off it. Hmm. So he bet on himself and it paid off. So that's like, it's just really big game of chicken happening at the end of the second round. It's kind of fascinating. That is super interesting. And as we've seen in years past, like the second round is this weird playground for enterprising GMs and I guess also kind of a, a standoff for and a, a, a kind of positioning battle for some agents and some players. And so uh, perhaps uh, Chandler Parsons' contract years ago was the probably the original yeah. Hinky special, right? And so since then, we've seen teams get more creative. Uh, it went the opposite way when the Thunder probably outsmarted themselves. Oh, the Josh Heistis one? Yeah. We, yeah. So they basically guaranteed Josh Heistis a first round, late first round slot and thus all the guaranteed money that comes with it. But he immediately went into their G League system and I don't even know if he's, he's still with the Thunder? No, he's not. So, he's out the league. So yeah, I mean, on the one hand, uh, it, it, you could see it blow back on some teams in, in particular this Oklahoma City situation. But it is interesting to watch these kind of games play out, as you suggest, because while this is the the fringes of the fringe stuff in the NBA, the thing that probably only the cap nerds and uh, the the really deep cut draft nerds like ourselves are interested in, you see it play out, and 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 if you have success with it, you could see what happens just in the NBA Finals, where a guy like Fred Van Vliet comes in yeah. and plays like a god in the playoffs and basically swung that series. Uh, to a certain degree. So these moves on the fringes matter. They, all these small decisions become d- big decisions. They just, everything is just has a cascading effect. So uh, I think this is interesting. I, I mean, shouts to Terrence Davis. He's got a lot of actually some Norm Powell in his game. I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing for Toronto in the near future. He's a player. Is that a good thing to be a little Norm Powell? Hey, $40 million second round pick. That's not too bad. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, All right, we will wrap it up right there. Uh, We will be back perhaps throughout the NBA summer and especially when Russell Westbrook gets traded. I don't know when that will be. It doesn't seem like there's a huge incentive for the Thunder to do that immediately, especially with so much money wrapped up in all the deals that just got signed, oh, not even two weeks ago. So uh, for Charks, for Bobby, and for me, we will see you next time. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.